Welcome to Brew Success Radio, the podcast that brings you the most up-to-date information on training, nutrition, lifestyle and business with your host, Helda Barroso. Hey, what's up guys? Welcome to episode 15 of the Breathe Success Radio. Really good episode, guys. I had Dr. Dean St. Mart on the podcast. Um, Dr. Dean's got a, a very good Instagram page where he talks a lot, of, a lot about different things. And one of the things that he's been talking a lot lately about is the current COVID situation and masks and immune system which um, this is why I wanted him on the podcast and uh, I was so glad to have him on there. So a little bit of background to Dr. Dean. He was uh, a world uh, champion in semi-contact kickboxing. Uh, An accident actually led him to smash his bones in his right foot. Uh, So he decided to actually stop that at 23. And he then... uh, Obviously, being some, someone that liked being active, looked into bodybuilding as his dad was a, a, a bodybuilder himself and a judge within the bodybuilding world. And he started um, training as a bodybuilder and has competed a few times as a bodybuilder. He's based in Ireland. Uh, he has a double first class honors degree in chemistry and pharmaceutical chemistry from the university, uh, National University, university of Ireland in Maynooth, where he finished top of the university and holds a PhD in synthetic organic chemistry and fluorescence uh, spec, I don't know how to say this, but spectroscopy. Um, he, his current interests lie in novel drug design and functional medicine. He also does a lot of work with uh, a, a supplement company where he's designed his own supplements and continues to design supplements for that company. Very, very interesting, guys. I honestly think most people uh, will take a lot away from this podcast, and I hugely recommend you listen to all of it and follow uh, Dr. Dean uh, because he is very interesting. Let's get on with it. I'll uh, see you on the other side. Dr. Dean, lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much, Elder been obviously uh, a while I've been trying to get a hold of you for a while but I know you're <laughs> I, I know I apologize you must be hounding me for the last maybe eight weeks and, I know, uh, I know. Very that's all you hear in the end <laughs> that's all that matters um, so I, I came across uh, Dr. Dean on social media uh, through a few accounts a few people that I know uh, friends of mine when I went to M10 such as Callum uh, James uh, obviously you're doing a bit of work with with, with them and Callum, I know Callum was coaching you. Yeah. So I came across you through then and I've been following your social media and I love your stuff and I love your rants um, <laughs> on stuff that actually, you know, is of very big importance with the world that we're living in at the moment. Yeah. Um, so first of all, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the listeners and people watching, tell them who you are, what your background is and we'll get yeah. into So as I said, my name is Dr. Dean St. Mart. I have a PhD in organic chemistry and my formal background before that was I have a first class double honours degree in chemistry and pharmaceutical chemistry. So my background is from pharmacology and drug design. And then obviously then that led into the synthetic organic chemistry for my PhD. And um, currently then I work as a chemical engineer. And then my other sort of part time interest is as the formulator for a supplement company in the UK. 
called something needs. So a lot of people probably are aware of me through that route. Um, yes. I'm also a competitive bodybuilder and I have a, a massive interest in functional medicine and applying that to, I guess, the health and fitness industry of trying to figure out how we can get to the sort of core root of diseases rather than, you know, trying to just address symptoms. Amazing. Um, I think, you know, that was sort of then with everything that's gone on this year, I've started to, you know, critically think of what's going on. Um, I mean, we, we're in this world now that, that people are I, failing to critically think what is currently happening, mm. have a good appreciation for our immune system and what ultimately dictates an immune response and how we support that. Um, and then also, I guess, the, the underlying political issues that are, are ongoing also. So it's, it's not just a matter of, um, I guess, a health crisis. There's also underlying political issues that are, are driving the current uh, pandemic. Situation. Yeah. And uh, obviously, from the, the, if people are not following you on social media, they should be. Uh, if they're listening to this, I will be uh, popping below in the notes or the format where you can find Dr. Dean. And I recommend you follow him because I've been following him for a long, long time. And I, I agree with almost everything that you've been mentioning about the current situation with COVID, with the masks, you know, when they first introduced that. And you, you, you actually went extensively to show why masks are, are poor to, to, to help us, really. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like... And I wanted to ask you about that. What, what's, your, <laughs> what, 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 what's your thoughts on masks? Because I, just the other day, I, I asked on social media, please show me any any good information that masks work and there hasn't there wasn't anyone that actually gave me any studies or any links or anything yeah i mean i i've <clears throat> i have two highlights on instagram that have been like a running joke yeah <clears throat> i guess when when this whole mask situation came out to me it was just a, a slap in the face of science basically and then you had arrogant medical professionals saying we wear masks all the time in clinical settings now the argument there is <clears throat> no doubt masks do stop the spread of bacterial infection that's why they're worn in surgery that's the that's you know when we look at the size of microorganisms bacteria are large enough that they're caught in the fiber weave of a mask right now when we get to the size of viral particles the smallest diameter you can physically achieve with a cotton fiber surgical mask is about 10,000 nanometers. COVID as a molecule, the particle size of COVID is 100 nanometers. Right. So, you know, you can fit nearly 1,000 COVID particles into the fiber weave of a mask. Now, the argument there is that we can slow transmission spread because when you cough, of course, the virus may potentially, now again, this is where all the counter arguments come from, WHO, may be spread through respiratory droplets. In that regard, a respiratory droplet may be large enough that it's caught by the mask. But again, not once have we seen correct information given out about mask wearing. More so, the mandate that's been brought in is a face covering. Mm. To me, when face covering came out, and again, I've, I've joked about it on social media, 
you know, there's no difference in terms of the law of face covering that you can just put a scarf or even put your, put your T-shirt over your head. There's yes. no science behind what they've mandated. Um, you know, if, if we were to be correct, the correct science, and again, I, I, I went on another rant today on my Instagram about, you know, <clears throat> when people are sort of arguing with me about masks, I'm never one saying that, you know, don't wear masks. I've never once ever explicitly said don't wear masks because, again, there's psychological benefits to wearing a mask, which is what we see in the literature. Literature states, you know, people feel psychologically safe when they wear a mask. Now, again, that can give a false, I guess, sense of security that you think that by wearing your mask and another person wearing that mask, if they're symptomatic, that they're protecting you, which is not the case. Mm. again when it comes to mask wearing first of all you never touch the front of a mask so putting on so donning and doffing a mask should be done without touching the mask you should be just touching the, the ring yeah. ear loops never fixing it in place so once you've adjusted it in place because again you should be doing this with clean hands that's it you no longer fidget or touch the mask which is not happening Again, you yeah, you look around any supermarket, people are, you know, again, this is face coverings. They have yeah. these cotton face coverings. They're fidgeting at the mask, they're touching their face, and then they're touching things on aisles where they're constantly breathing into these cotton masks. <clears throat> Preferably, if you are going to then wear a surgical mask correctly, like I said, correct on and off. If you cough or you soil that mask, immediately it comes off. Yeah. It needs to be disposed of correctly because technically we view this as biohazard. Yes. And there was a, a journal article published in, I think it was the British Journal of Medicine back in May, where they were basically counter-arguing the wearing of masks because of this, that, you know, we need to have correct pre procedures in place. And we also need to inform people of how to correctly dispose of these masks. Mm. You know, first off, if a mask gets soiled, taken off immediately double bagged and put into a waste, a medical waste bin. Mm. <clears throat> From there, we get into this politics of, you know, face coverings are, again, the media sort of puts the spin on it that you're protecting the other person when we're in confined spaces. But when all this started developing back in February or March, I was horrified that we started to see what was developing in China at Christmas time. And then obviously it came to light throughout the, the world. Yes. But not once in anticipation of this virus coming, did the WHO or any government health agency globally ever state how to make people more resilient to viral infection? And why is that? Why do you think that, that there hasn't been a chat about that? <laughs> I guess, you know, the, if you start speaking in this manner, which I'm going to say now, you're, you're viewed as a conspiracy theorist. Yes, unfortunately, so, that's the case, isn't it? So, I mean, like I said, my background is in drug design and pharmacology. And what, what stopped me from going into the pharma industry for drug development was exactly why the ethos of a lot of these companies stand on. And that is, yes, we want to make drugs to, I guess, improve quality of life yeah but that doesn't necessarily mean we're extending longevity of life mm. so when we develop drugs we're tending to go after symptoms to alleviate a symptom so in the case of diabetes you know we can use 
insulin. Glute, you know, insulin or insulin mimetics or stuff that makes your cells more receptive to insulin or, mm. you know, glucose transport. Mm. But we're never getting to the root of why people are developing type 2 diabetes, yes. for example, in the first place. Yes. Because, again, if you start doing that and you actually start addressing root causes, industries like this fall apart then. And they pay a lot of taxes to the government, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's then, I guess it goes even deeper that, you know, within academia, then there's a lot of funding involved and it, it gets very messy. Um, a couple of the guys that were in the, the research lab with me were actually developing drugs for diabetes as part of their PhD. And, and it just shocked me that not once did they ever stop and think of for example, the, the drugs that they were trying to develop were to make cells more receptive to glucose. Mm. But they never actually took a step back and thought, well, why is that person's cells become desensitized to glucose? Or why is the pancreas failing? And what you can know, we're, we're, try and help with that? Yeah, you know, there's, there's nothing ever to go back to. Okay, high fat diets and genetics, um, I guess. You know, poor, poor exercise. Yeah. You know, there's so many different things that feed into metabolic health. Yes. That the pharma industry as a whole, I guess, is reliant on people being sick. Yeah. As conspiracy theorists, as it sounds. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when this started coming out in March, I, I'd done a podcast with Callum in March. Basically, <clears throat> what we ended up doing the podcast was, was to look at immune function in the context of COVID and also with, there was many bodybuilding shows starting to, uh, the season of bodybuilding was actually starting in March, April. Yes, yes. And I, I was sort of warning against, you know, you've low body fat, you've compromised immune function. Yep. You know, about 70% of your total daily energy goes towards fueling your immune system. Absolutely. So when you're in you're a big deficit, you're very low body fat, you're going to be susceptible to infection you know, your vitamin A and vitamin D status are probably not as optimal because you're not ingesting enough calories, calories yeah. you know, micronutrient deficiencies. And from that, I was sort of stemming to, to, in that podcast was that, you know, we need to have a robust bust plan in order to make people aware that they can be resilient to this virus. Yes. Um, like, like I said last night on my Instagram, this type of virus, the coronavirus, or even influenza, they rely on the host staying alive. Mm. So when people die from COVID or die as a result of COVID, it's because of their immune function fails. Their, their bodily systems cannot handle the immune response towards that virus. And we've seen that in terms of cytokine storms and people ended up on vent ventilation, um, I guess, lung tissue being damaged and um, microthrombotic events within arteries causing small clots. Mm. People's immune systems are failing them as opposed to the virus killing them. Mm. But again, not once has the media ever took a step back and said, you know, we need to improve our system. Yeah. You know, if, if you have, if you have comorbidities in place, you know, if you have diseases, underlying disease conditions, you're going to be more susceptible to being put in danger by this virus. Yeah, absolutely. As, which is what they've been saying all along, right? If you've got underlying conditions, if you're a certain age and you've had issues, you're more, more than likely to, to get problems with it. 
Yeah, I mean, like the health service executive in Ireland published a report in August. Now, this didn't even make the mainstream media, but they, they've done an epidemiological report on COVID deaths in Ireland to date. And when they broke it down, 1,777 people had died from COVID mm. within Ireland. But when they broke down the data, 1,677 people had underlying conditions. Yes. So, in, you know, when we look at the, the numbers objectively, 100 people within Ireland in 2020 died from coronavirus alone. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, in terms of a fatality rate, it's, it's you know, decimals of places. Yeah. Which is, which is one of the things that I think, and everybody kind of knows that's the situation now, but we all know that this virus is not killing a lot of people. It's not the death virus that everybody thought back in February where people are lying dead in China. Um, but I think the issue now is we, we have media scaring the majority of the population. And I think if people like me and you that are in the fitness industry, that are coaches, that are seeing that this virus is not that bad as what they say they are because we focus on helping people be healthier. Now, the issue we have, and this is what I'm seeing here in, in the Midlands in the UK, is that because people are so scared of this virus based on what the media is saying, and even though that they know, you know, the chance of me getting this is little, but even if I do get it, I'm, I'm going to be okay, most likely. Yeah. They still, like, why are you not wearing a mask? Why, why are you not keeping the distance? You know, um, and when I say the why, like you are saying, what, 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 what should we do then? What, should fight against the government, fight against the police, so I not go to work? Should I, should I stop um, going to the gym? So how the hell do we get around that? <laughs> and that to me is, you know, that's the million dollar question of, uh, like, for this last six months, people have said to me, yeah, but you're saying all this, but where's the solution? Yeah. And I guess, you know, we, we sort of uh, primary, the primary outcome of all this was lockdowns. Yes. That, that was the initial government decision globally. Now, a lockdown, in my opinion, had someone within government, and I mean, had the balls to do this, would have meant two weeks where no one leaves their house. Yes. We have designated people who will work for supermarkets, delivering foods, even if it has to be the army, whatever way you want to work this, people stay in their homes for two weeks, do not venture out, let the virus run its course, strictly control close airports basically close every country Everything. in the world for two weeks that's a lockdown none of this oh two week lockdown and then someone next door is having a house party with 50 people yes <laughs> and i mean this is clear defiance of you know human behavior of you know you can't tell me what to do what to do yes and you know again yes the governments have had to make tough decisions but but in my opinion you know this sort of you know six week lockdown and there's like this loophole and that loophole just close the country if you yeah. had closed the country for two weeks yes people could have continued to work from home if they were able to Absolutely. essential essential services still continue in case people actually do get sick and have heart attacks etc but by making sure that people stay home and, and realize the importance and closing everything yeah. making nothing accessible to the public we could have effectively done what we wanted to do which was flatten the curve back then but yeah. instead we had this soft lockdown where you know people are meeting you know next door neighbors and this that and the other which mm. 
it is difficult to, I guess, I guess, purvey the, the importance of doing this sort of measure. Um, I think again, you know, here we are six months later in Ireland entering another lockdown, which is like, doing the same thing again and expecting a different outcome. Exactly. That's what I don't get because they clearly know that we, you know, we, you did all that you, and it didn't work. And you're doing it again. What what are you expecting to happen at the end of this? Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to, like Ireland, we have NEFIT, which is like the, the National Protection Health Agency. Mm. And I, I'd love to, I guess, sit in on the conversations this week heading towards level five lockdown, which is total lockdown in the country. Um, you know, daily we have, you know, the coronavirus task force in Ireland and you were having, day, you know, you could watch what was going on in these meetings. And, and most of the time they would they weren't, weren't uh, you know answering correctly to what was being put under pressure by independent pol- politicians. Yeah. Um. I guess again, like I said today, it, it comes back to ultimately making people aware of the resiliency to this this virus, which none of these health agencies have ever put forth any sort of education towards vitamin A and vitamin D is the key signaling molecules of your immune system, which I'm fairly certain most people do not get enough vitamin A daily in their diet. Most likely. Uh, and, you know, vitamin D from sunshine, you lock people in their houses, especially with winter coming, yeah. you're not going to receive adequate vitamin D. So now no. you're dampening people's immune function. Yes. We've seen then also that glutathione, which is a, an antioxidant of your body, is a key driver towards adverse outcomes when this virus attacks the immune system. Okay. So those who don't have adequate levels of glutathione fare far much worse to the inevitable cytokine release from the virus being attacked by the immune system. So, you know, this, this, is, this is why this podcast, I think, is so, so important with people like yourself, because we're not hearing this in the media and, uh, and people don't know about this kind of thing. Um, so I think the next question that I have for you is, you know, people listening to this out there now, if they want to protect themselves from this virus as much as possible, you know, improve their immune system or at least do something. So they do, if they do get the virus, they're in a better place to fight it off. Where would they start? What, what do you think people should look at? Apart from so, the, but go more into it if you can. Yeah, so I mean, so if you're not getting adequate vitamin A through leafy vegetables, um, supplementing with retinal palmitate, which is the active form of vitamin A. Yeah. Ideally, you're looking at about 5,000 IUs of vitamin A per day. And is there any particular vitamin A that they need to? Retinal palmitate. So vi- vitamin A exists as beta carotene and retinal palmitate. So in the okay. body, beta carotene gets converted to retinal palmitate. So if, again, if you're eating the likes of um, carrots for vitamin A, carrots mainly have beta carotene that has to get converted to retinal palmitate. Right. And certain people do have genetic issues in a gene known as BCOM. And that gene does that beta carotene conversion. Right. So retinal palmitate at 5,000 I use. Um, again, this is on the WHO website. You can go there and look at the daily recommendations of vitamin A. And what we sort of want to look at is a balanced, like one is to one ratio of vitamin A to vitamin D. So it's approximately 5,000 I use of vitamin D. So um, uh, 5,000 I use vitamin D as well. Again, with winter coming, we ideally, through blood work, want to make sure that our vitamin D level is somewhere around 50. Yeah. 
between 50 and 60 for UK and Irish people. Yeah. And, um, you know, about 5,000 I use daily should see your levels around 50 or 60. Okay. Um, th then from there, like I said, glutathione comes from cysteine or sulfur-rich food sources. So again, cruciferous vegetables would be a, a primary example. Um, or using, say, N-acetylcysteine as a powdered supplement. Yeah. Or even liposomal glutathione exists as a supplement as well that, that I formulate with supplement needs that your body actually readily uptakes. Cool. That again ensures that you have adequate glutathione available for when your body needs to perform these um, antioxidant and I guess um, free radical reductions. Just that you have. The glutathione, how yeah. much uh, of these leafy vegetables would we need to eat on a daily basis? <laughs> <laughs> a lot quite a lot quite a lot because again the, the active form of sulfur that's mainly in cruciferous vegetables would be sulforaphane mm. um, again when it comes to glutathione we look at blood work and on blood work we see it as ggt which is gamma glutamyltransferase okay and um, your ggt should ideally be, be between 16 and 20 16 and 20 20 and that's sort of like ideal ranges for your, your glutathione status. Now, again, when it comes to supplementing glutathione, it really depends, um, again, on, on your environmental exposure because the likes of pollution, electromagnetic radiation, everything in your environment is putting an insult to your body's defense systems. Of course. Which, again, I found funny that when we do lockdowns, people are, again, we're confined within their home, lack of sunlight, but we live in this age of technology now that we have EMF bombardments from everywhere. Yeah. And, and it's sort of this silent insult, which I've said to people that you can't see EMF. No. Or you can't feel it to the extent, unless it's at a very high frequency. Yeah. And with sort of this rollout of, 5G and you know Bluetooth and Wi-Fi hotspots all around us. So is, is it the Bluetooth and the, and the Wi-Fi in the house? That's probably the biggest things. Yeah, when it comes to your glutathione being depleted, um, and it's it's again not not spoken about in, in mainstream no, media. We, no. And we see this when you look at again. I shared the paper of um, glutathione and antioxidant insults. The environment in terms of you know EMF and I guess non-energetic radiation puts an insult to the body that you have to use glutathione to quench the, um, I guess the the oxidative damage that's being insulted. Mm. In that regard, then you're making yourself even more susceptible to a viral infection because yeah, you can have lower glutathione from your your environment around you. Yeah. Um, kids, even you know, it's it's. It, I guess right now we don't have really made majorly any safety studies to say towards EMF um, or you know blue light to causing harm to our circadian rhythms. But I can guarantee you that data will come to light over the next 20 to 30 years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess some, st some stuff on that, especially uh, I think I was listening to a podcast a while back with Ben Greenfield, and he mentioned EMF a lot and how we can try and maybe reduce it within our house, such as, for example, not taking our phone to, a, to bed when we go to sleep at night, keeping things out of the bedroom to try and improve that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's 
someone asked me, um, I, I recently bought a set of wireless headphones, which again, are, are probably going to come to light that they are slightly detrimental. Um, but the way I sort of put it to this person was, they, they were saying to me, are you, are you not, I guess, afraid of the damage that's being done to the neuronal circuits within your brain? Mm. And my sort of counter argument to you was, well, what gets attacked within our body by EMF, which I've said there, glutathione and other antioxidants. Yeah. So if I'm making a conscious effort to Supp I guess, su supplement yeah. and, you know, ensure that my body is more resilient to this, then, you know, put my earphones in for an hour in my ear at the gym. No what sort of effect is it going to have long term? Maybe it's going to have some damage. But again, the sort of, I guess, anecdotal story I told him was when my wife and I went on our honeymoon three years ago, we went to New York for a couple of days as part of it. And we were in Times Square. And just out of interest, I had my phone, took out my phone. There was over 250 hotspots in that area. Wow. <laughs> so Crazy. <laughs> you can imagine how much EMF wireless radiation is around you without you even realizing mm. so you know in, in that context it's everywhere someone said to me well how do you do i said you can't we're, we're at this point where we rely on technology we rely on you know 4g and 5g yes absolutely and we want it because it yeah. makes our life easier right exactly so i mean you know people are conspiracy theorists and oh this is going to damage this and this that there's no doubt about it that emf has dangers yes that are not being spoken about and again this all ties into immune function but in order to address that you know we're sort of then looking to turn back the last 10 years of technological advance mm. to i guess going back to when the internet wasn't as popular we had dial-up internet we didn't have wi-fi routers in every home you know like it's you say that to someone, you go, right, we go back to that period of time. And there'd be a lot of, uh, I guess, resistance to making that change. I thought there would be, yes. We can also then apply that same resistance to if we were to enforce nutritional control of the population. Um, yeah. So if we were to then say, okay, we're closing McDonald's, we're closing, you know, this fast food restaurant, they're now illegal. There'd be revolution. because. Oh, my God. We, we've grown to accept this as part of society. Yes. And it's not the most healthiest thing either for our immune system. So no. again, it's very, it, it, this whole thing, like I said to people, it's very complex. We, we, it's, well, not just, it's not just a matter of a simple solution. Of, of course not. But I think, I think the key is, is to surround yourself with people like you, like me, who know that this situation is the case. And what can we do as a human being to protect ourselves as much as possible in terms of looking after ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even that's the key, right? You know, you know even my 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 son is twenty months old. Ever since he's been a, a baby, you know, a few weeks old baby, he's gotten very small amounts of liposomal glutathione from me, because again, I understand that there's Wi-Fi everywhere. Absolutely. And his resiliency to that is going to be diminished Absolutely. to an adult. So again. I'm trying to protect him in an environment that's going to always be there, especially yeah. when it's development. Yeah. And it's, it's simple little things like that, that we don't even educate parents on that. You know, if you have Wi-Fi in your house, 
your children are probably going to be the ones that are going to suffer the Absolutely. of the, the EMS. It's the kind of stuff that should be taught at school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how to look. This is things that are so important. But unfortunately, I think in a way we're lucky to have the internet and, and Instagram and, and podcasts like this where we can at least get that information out there somehow, somewhere. And hopefully people will start listening and sharing. And a percentage of us, even if it's small, we'll get this and we'll do something about it. And I guess it's better than nothing, right? Exactly. I mean, it comes back to you if we can, you know, give parents even this sort of information to protect their children, then they may adopt the same practices onto themselves. Yes. And, and you know, again, it's just going to keep coming back to making sure that we're resilient because first we had SARS Cove back in um, 2010, 2011. Yeah. And from there now, we have SARS-CoV-2, which is just an, almost a mutation of the yes. original SARS virus. I can guarantee you that SARS-CoV-2 is not the last coronavirus that we're going to encounter in this society. Yeah. And it's not the last infectious disease we're going to encounter in society. But yeah, I guess the next sort of side of it when it comes to again being viewed as conspiracy theory is this whole vaccine agenda mm. i spoke out a couple of years ago about vaccines and vaccine safety never saying that vaccines don't work because it'd be silly to say that from a yeah. science perspective yeah but it was from an objective and critical thinking science perspective that certain individuals may not fare well to being vaccinated versus others. Now, what we've had in the last year is this whole mainstream media banking on, I'm not going to say brainwash, but constantly making people aware of, oh, a vaccine's coming. A vaccine is how we get out of this. A vaccine is, you know, the, the be-all and end-all solution. Yet, when SARS-CoV happened back in 2010, they tried to develop a vaccine for it and they failed. And when they tried to go the route of then testing on animals, the animals all died. So it's a very technical virus. It's very difficult to express this viral particle to elicit an immune response. Mm. The other side of it is how a vaccine fundamentally works is it generates an immune response. So you generate an antibody titer to that. Like the flu vaccine. Yeah. And in that regard, when you do encounter the virus and you're insulted by it, your adaptive immune system will then recognize this antigen and adopt an efficient and swift immune response. Now, just because you're vaccinated does not mean you can't catch Again. COVID. What it means is if you do catch COVID, you may have a better immune response to sure. it. Yeah. But it still makes you just as infectious to other people as if you hadn't been vaccinated. So a vaccine does not protect the community from transmission. It helps to lower infection rates because potentially then more people will generate an adaptive immune response to the virus. Mm. And over time, then, cases from that virus diminish. Yeah. But it's not, in my opinion, the, the sort of way to view that 
we get this vaccine, we vaccinate everyone, and everyone's going to be safe. Not the case. In, in my opinion, no. Um, yes, we can maybe vaccinate vulnerable populations so that they potentially would be more resilient. Absolutely. Because again, as we age, through telomere shortening, which is our chromosome ends get shorter. So our immune cells start to what is known as senesce. They start to age. And we don't no longer generate as much immune cells as we did in our earlier years. Yeah. In that regard, then your, your T cells and your B cells, over time, those levels diminish. Mm. So by inducing an immune response through a vaccine to say a vulnerable population, like an elderly person, they may be then more resilient for if they do encounter that infection. That Makes sense, yeah. But in terms of globally being a strategy, in my opinion, getting the vaccine still means that everyone will have to encounter this virus at some point. So the, the key really still remains, even with this vaccine, that we have to look after our immune system as much as possible. Exactly. Because again, you're still going to mount an immune response to this virus, yeah. vaccinated or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, We've got know, this, this isn't, this isn't what the, you know, the media aren't making this aware to people or even the thing, you know, right? experts aren't even speaking about this. I think if they, they just made it just as clear as you've made it now, everybody would understand it. Everybody would be on board and everybody would do what they need to do. It's because they're so confused. One minute they're saying this, next minute they're saying this, next minute they're saying this, and we're like, what do we do? This is why we have people that are uh, uh, obeying by the rules and others that are not, because they feel like they're not being told the truth. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there is, there is you know, there, again, when it comes to sort of the, the vaccine science, there's a lot of money being unnecessarily pumped into that arena for what I feel would be not a perfect outcome. Mm. And again, then we've sort of forced science in a direction of basically old vaccine theory relied on a, what we basically done is we, we use a, an inactive strain of a virus, combine it with an adjuvant, which irritates the immune response, response yeah and then locally then when we put that antigen into say an, an intramuscular injection the adjuvant draws the immune system to that point to attack the antigen that's you know we, we have basically have a attenuated viral particles that are dead yes and then we generate this adaptive immune response to that attenuated response when it comes to like i said with, with SARS-CoV they weren't able to do that so now what we've gone the route of is either an mRNA vaccine or a DNA vaccine. Right. What that basically will do is with, with the mRNA vaccine, you'll have a, a code of mRNA, which is like a, a genetic code for the, the viral spike protein. So when you give this vaccine, your body will translate that mRNA and make its own spike proteins that are similar to the surface structure of the COVID virus. Right. And in response, then your immune system will attack those self-made yes. spike proteins to generate that adaptive response. 
and the DNA vaccine operates in a similar fashion, but it's a DNA vector. Yes, yes, wow. Now we're sort of getting into this realm of now we're dealing with genetic engineering as to speak. And in the animal models, mRNA vaccines again worked for when we had what, what we all feared was Zika mm. over in the Caribbean. The mRNA vaccines for Zika worked in animals to elicit an immune response. But then when the animals were actually exposed to Zika itself, the wild virus, it killed all the animals. Right. They had what was known as a hyperimmune response where the immune system actually went crazy in response to the wow. virus. So it, could this be something that could happen with this as well? Potentially when we get to humans, that's like, you know, this is, this is something not to take lightly when we look at animal models and bring it to humans. Mm. It's, it's basically making us aware of the dangers that can happen with this yeah. experimental form of vaccine. So do you think we're still very far away from it? With, with how the FDA operates and pharma, I don't think so. I think we, we may see Moderna is the lead in vaccine for the mRNA vaccine that most people are aware of. That's, that's about to enter into phase three fairly soon. Um, okay. I wouldn't be surprised if we've seen an mRNA vaccine for COVID released maybe mid next year. Wow, okay, so quite, quite quick. Quite quick. I mean, when we look at drug development, again, this is from my, my background, you're talking about 15 years for a drug to be developed. Crazy. From, from research and development right through to, to marketing and uh, clinical trials. The fastest ever drug to ever reach market was a um, oncology drug for cancer, and it took five years. Wow. So... <laughs> making people bank on this vaccine being done in two, two years okay. even, that to me raises a lot of critical questions. Of course. Towards safety. And um, again, that's where I'm more of the opinion that if we can make people more resilient, educate on immune function, educate on how we can nutritionally and supplementally make people better handling this virus, then that's going to be more of a, a better prospect because again, we're giving people that information for future yes. viral outcomes. Absolutely. So what would be your opinion in terms of, of educating the public on immune function? How would we go about doing that? This again is, is uh, it's an, it, it's, I guess within Ireland, we, we have several, medical doctors who have spoken up about this and quite a lot of them have been censored yeah i same same all over the world right yeah and i mean what what i laugh at is it, it appears that gone are the days of having intellectual debates mm. and even live intellectual debates where you know people like myself from you know other ke chemists biologists even physicists can have an open forum debate that's broadcasted live where we debate what's going on. Yeah. Rather no, than, we have know, freedom of speech, unfortunately. Yeah. And I mean, even in Ireland, you know, they've brought in laws where freedom of speech and the right to assemble have been demolished, basically. Mm. It, um, this is a worrying thing, isn't it? It seems like we're going backwards. <laughs> yeah. 
it, it's scary. Mean, it just makes people wonder why. Why is it that we can't speak about it and you are blocking everybody from YouTube and Facebook and why is that? And, that, and, that, and then you think, oh, you're being a conspiracy theorist. Well, I'm not because I just want to know why. Why, why can't we just speak about it? Yeah, I mean, like we do live in an age of spread of disinformation. And, yes. You know, there, again, this is sort of the classic example of when I, I made jokes about masks. And, and to be honest, when I'm doing that, I'm not disputing science towards maybe surgical masks slow in transmission. What I'm making a joke of is, like I said, face covering. Yeah. Any piece of cloth basically being yeah. being that but again when you speak up from a scientific perspective you're basically being said well you know even if they stopped one percent the spread and my counter argument has been okay that's one percent the spread what about if i educate my whole community on nutrition and supplementation for immune function and that stopped 85 percent of the spread exactly is your one percent from masks on a supersede my 85 percent and you know this is where it comes back to the underlying problem is current, you know, current community metabolic health. Yes, totally. So we started off by saying people should be on vitamin A, vitamin D, glutathione. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what else do you think that most people should be looking at in terms of, uh, of, of supplements that they may not be getting already from diet? Yeah. So maybe we, we have a broad range of well-known, um, supplements that have antiviral properties so we have the likes of um, silver ions silver ions yeah so silver silver as an iron form okay and um, most notably either um, colloidal silver or silver hydrosol right you know we use that as a medieval antibacterial and antiviral you know yeah. going back centuries so wow. sil silver is something that people can consider um, yeah. Then, you know, we have this whole scenario of hydroxychloroquine being a potential therapy. Um, yeah, that, that was quite debated in America, wasn't it? Exactly. And I mean, okay, there's, again, arguments in that regard towards that compound being effective. But if we view the mechanism of action, what it does is it causes a, a pore in the viral molecule to allow zinc to enter. And zinc itself disrupts the membrane of a viral particle and basically ineffectively halting its um, replication. So is zinc, do you think someone should be taking? So zinc, zinc is definitely something that, again, we need to be careful because if we overload zinc, we put a, a, an imbalance to copper. Right. And for um, what are known as metallothionines, they're like transport molecules in our body. If we take in too much zinc, we then upset, upset the transport of copper. Mm. And that can have very uh, disastrous consequences towards mental health. Fair enough. So we need to be very careful that we don't overload on zinc because we'll throw out the copper balance. Mm. But 30 milligrams of a zinc chelate and maybe two milligrams of a copper chelate yeah. again help to keep that balance ratio there. Okay. Um, next up, probably vitamin C, um, ascorbic acid. Again, very potent antioxidant because it helps to recycle our vitamin E in our body. 
Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I've seen some information on vitamin C, uh, and obviously the usual daily recommendation for that is about two thousand milligrams, right? Yes. Um, do you think that's enough? So, with, with ascorbic acid as a oral supplement, its bioavailability is very low. Yeah. So, would you think IV is better? Not, not necessarily because vitamin C does have its actions as well towards halting viral replication, but it's a very crude test, but you can actually assess your sort of, what I'd probably say your sweet dose of vitamin C okay. is by, you basically keep taking vitamin C until you have bowel movements. Yes. And yeah, at that point, yeah. yeah. And at that point you step back maybe a gram or two. Okay. Assess does it cause bowel issues? If not, that's your daily dose of vitamin C. Right, that's good to, to know. Um, so, you know, that could be up as high as seven, seven grams, 7,000 yeah. milligrams per day. Yeah, um, I, I'm sure you've heard of uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, she's got a, a extensive um, information on, on vitamin C via IV drip. And she, she, she says it's better to do that because it stays in your blood plasma a lot longer and absorbed better than taking it orally. Yeah, even, you know, well even, even liposomal, I was going to say, liposomal delivery form. Okay. Um, again, a lot, liposomal is a nanoparticle where you've suspended vitamin C inside it. It's a, right. it's a nanoparticle um, fat-soluble molecule. Right. And so when we ingest liposomes, they actually get directly uptaken into our cells. And then the liposome disperses and the vitamin C is released into your cells directly. So it's better to take a liposome of vitamin C than just a vitamin C? It, it would be in terms of your, the bioavailability. Now, if you were to have a, an immune insult from the viral infection, if you don't have access to IV vitamin C, which we're starting to see a lot of data come out about supporting immune resiliency when we have maybe a COVID infection, Hmm. Liposomal vitamin C would be the next sort of choice before oral tablets, basically, or powder. Fair enough. So in terms of the first choice, would you still, do you still think if you have got access to it, IV would be better? As, yeah, IV would. But again, I, I wouldn't be doing daily IVs of vitamin C. No, no, of course not. And you'd have to go and see someone, a professional yeah. for that, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but again, if, if you did have a, an immune infection of COVID, there is quite a lot of literature coming out, published literature towards vitamin C being used as a therapeutic. Like we even see it from the Wuhan data. Brilliant. Um, and if people want to delve into that, you can just put intravenous vitamin C into PubMed and it'll bring up quite a lot of studies from Wuhan, which is where this whole use of vitamin C for COVID actually came about. Fair enough. Um, Anything else do you, do you think? Then after that, you know, you then you get into herbs like odorless garlic, which has allicin, which again is a, a very well-known antiviral. And maybe um, olive leaf extract has olipurin. That again has um, antiviral properties. Okay. Um, like I said to start, I, I formulate supplements for supplement needs. So what yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. What, what, what supplement would you recommend people have a look at? So what, what I did do in response to this, um, uh, this was all driven by athletes and low immune function. And then it just happens to be that this pandemic happens this year. 
So la- last year, into uh, mid two thousand nineteen, I'm not. I'm not going to say I'm well known within bodybuilding and supplementation for what I call stacks. So I have sleep stack, I have yes. know, heart heart stack, kidney and blood pressure stack, yeah, liver stack. One of the things that I wanted to do was create an immune stack for athletes because yeah. of like what I what I discussed with Callum back in March was when you're an athlete and you're like eight weeks out from a show, mm. you know, what can halt a lot of people's preps for stage preparation is a chest infection or pneumonia or, you know, yeah. very bad throat infection. Yeah. So I thought if I can develop a supplement that athletes could take maybe in the last 10 weeks before a bodybuilding show to support mm. their immune function, it would mean less people getting sick, more successful preps. Absolutely. So, um, what I did then develop was a 14 ingredient immune supplement, which is known as Immuno Pro, and it's on Supplement Needs website. And that anyway, that has um, vitamin A, vitamin D, zinc, copper, vitamin C, um, magnesium. Is that all within, within the guidelines that you do you recommend? Exactly. Yeah, five thousand I use of vitamin A, five thousand I use vitamin D, yeah, um, zinc. Um, copper balanced, like I said. Um, the odorless garlic, the allicin, um, olive leaf extract, astragalus, um, beta glucans, which are a yeast extract, which help increase IgA. So, per serving, are we getting all of those servings? Yeah. It's a nine capsule serving and it's a month supply, but it has everything. Perfect. So, it's, you know, it's, it's one of these supplements that like I said, was originally designed for athletes to take for like, say the last three months of their bodybuilding prep. But now and it, everybody should be taking it, right? Yeah. It's one of these ones that now just by, when we released it back in May, I started laughing because I was speaking about it on my Instagram and I was saying, you know, I've been trying to bring this to the market since last year and with everything going on, you know, if you looked even in the supplement industry, every Tom, Dick and Harry was trying to put out immune supplements to try and cash in on what was going on mm. and a lot of them weren't actually dosed correctly it was to try and feed on you know this sort of i guess fear of oh i need to support my immune system with a multivitamin yeah. or this this product is called you know whatever hyperimmune yeah, yeah. supplement or whatever like it, it it was basically people were just being fooled into yes. buying these supplements and again, it's sort of like the ethos with me and supplement needs that whenever I formulate anything, it's always been at clinical dosages. It's always been efficacious ingredients that are um, clinically standardized. Perfect. Well, at least we've got something that we can cover in all bases that you've mentioned. But I wanted to touch yeah. on a couple of other things um, in terms of supplements that you've uh, stacked as well, such as the sleep stack. So obviously, you know, and I know as a coach that a lot of people sleep is very poor yeah for many reasons we know stress is a big problem uh, blue lights too much exercise you know eating too late alcohol caffeine all of those things affect your sleep so you know we've we've always kind of been said you know um, um magnesium is probably one of the best things to take prior to, yeah. sleep to help with that but you've you've created again another stack um and obviously Sleeping is good for our immune system, right? Exactly, yeah. I mean, so what's that about your, your, your supplement with that? What's in there? What, what should be people be looking at? So, 
the sleep stack sort of came about my own personal research. So like I said, the very start, my career is as a chemical engineer. And for the last six years, I've worked as a shift engineer. So I entered that career at the age of I'd say 25, having never worked shift in my life. Yes. With no, with no sort of like a, a 30 minute occupational health lecture on, you know, if you're going to work night shifts, you know, these are sort of the things you want to be doing. And half of it was, was rubbish, in my opinion. Mm. And so over like the next two years, uh, I became very interested in making sure that when I was working night shifts, that again, I was making myself more resilient because it technically night shift working is a carcinogen. We know that there's negative outcomes to mm. night shift working both in terms of body processes being down-regulated when we work night shifts. So digestive function suffers because we're supposed our circadian rhythm dictates that we should be sleeping. Yes. So our release of digestive enzymes is a lot lower at night time because we have slower gut motility because our body technically should be sleeping. Mm. Um, but that's a whole other rant and tangent. But <laughs> when, when it came to my own sleep, again, this was again as a... Uh, a competitive bodybuilder and how we know sleep suffers when we get very well conditioned and the last few weeks before a bodybuilding show both either as a natural or an enhanced supplement supplementing individual yeah um we know that processes of sleep get disturbed so i started to look at what actually happens on a biochemical level for sleep um, and the first instance is that we have to have adequate serotonin present in our brain in order to be relaxed, to bring sleep on. Yes. We then also need to have a low catecholamine environment. So the catecholamines are dopamine, adrenaline, and noradrenaline. So we need to make sure that we have a low catecholamine environment. So a low, I guess, neurotransmitter, stimulatory neurotransmitter environment. And that helps our brain to relax. So people are probably familiar with being wired but tired. They're lying in bed and they've all these thoughts racing through their head and they're not able to really just switch off to allow their mind to initiate sleep. Mm. So from there, then, that's sort of what helps you to fall asleep. And that's fine. I know, again, a lot of people who are on bodybuilding preps can fall asleep, no problem. They're waking up in the night. Yeah, three or four hours later, they wake up and that's it. They can't fall back asleep. Mm. The falling back asleep is actually dictated by your melatonin. And this, again, is where people are falsely led down the route of supplementing with melatonin. Because orally, melatonin has a half-life of about two to three hours. Right. So when you take a massive dose of melatonin before you sleep, yes, it will help you to fall asleep. It will help you to have maybe a couple of sleep cycles and then your brain wakes up because it's run out of melatonin. Mm -hmm. The concept of the sleep stack was to look at, at the biochemical reactions that are happening within our brain. And basically what happens is we generate serotonin. And then while we're sleeping, we have a clock gene, which is surrounded to our circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. And that clock gene, which is known as AANAT, converts your serotonin to melatonin so while you're sleeping your body's constantly making melatonin from serotonin which keeps you asleep and again 
this sort of comes back to people believe that melatonin is sort of from sunlight during the day and pineal gland exposure. That's one part of the, the solution. The other part is actually ensuring that that conversion process of serotonin to melatonin is happening. And what drives that process is vitamin B5. So we need to make sure that we have high levels of serotonin, adequate intake of vitamin B5, and then that'll do the conversion to serotonin, to, to melatonin from serotonin. And so I, I looked at it all, and then I decided, you know, for a sleep stack, we can combine six ingredients, being 5-HTP, which is the precursor to serotonin, vitamin B6, which converts the 5-HTP to serotonin, so now you have adequate levels of serotonin to help you fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Then you need the low catecholamine environment from low dopamine and low adrenaline. Yeah. That is facilitated by an enzyme called catechol-O-methyltransferase, COMT. That relies heavily on magnesium. Most people in society are magnesium deficient. Yeah. So by supporting that, I included zinc monomethionine and magnesium bisglycinate. So now you have zinc that's calming the um, central nervous system. Yeah. The methionine from the zinc monomethionine is helping to feed into methylation, which again helps to remove some of these neurotransmitters, stimulating neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. The magnesium bisglycinate, the magnesium supports the COMT enzyme to clear out the dopamine. And then the glycinate, which provides two glycine molecules, feeds into GABA, which is the inhibitory neurotransmitter in our brain, which helps to calm our brain down. So now you have these four ingredients that are immediately increasing serotonin, decreasing dopamine, and calming the system down to fall asleep. So are there, again, that's all in, in, a, in a serving size that gives you enough. Yeah. Yeah, based on uh, weight, female, male, for both the, the uh, immune one and the sleep one? So when it comes to basing things off weight, it's very difficult. So we tend to just go by standardized dosing. So the sleep stack, um, regardless of male or female, it, it, it tends to have the same effect in terms of dosages. Um, okay. It's, it's, it's more so a standardized dose. Fine. The... I guess the only thing when it comes to the sleep stack is obviously we're starting to manipulate serotonin and melatonin. So the only populations that couldn't take the sleep stack, for example, would be someone who's taking antidepressants and selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So they because, that. No, uh, unfortunately, because if they are taking these antidepressants, what will happen is the 5-HTP will actually increase serotonin beyond their neuronal threshold and it can have adverse effects. So people unfortunately have never read the bottle where it does warn about this. Yes. And and they can then experience um, serotonin syndrome, which can actually give quite bad nightmares. Right. Or leave that person feeling very aggressive the next morning. Right, right, okay. So that's the only, you know, caveat to this supplement is that those who have adequate levels of serotonin or serotonin transport cannot take the supplement unfortunately so are they people able to people who are, who are able to have it can they have the immune stack and the sleep stack or, uh, yeah, yeah there's absolutely no no issue there the, the immune product it's nine capsules per day so ideally what i prefer people to do is three capsules morning afternoon and evening time right. 
fine. And with the sleep stack, just don't be full sleep. Yeah, two, two, so the serving size has two capsules and, and generally you take it about 90 minutes before sleep. Brilliant. Um, and then obviously if someone's going to eat in the evening time, obviously with, with bodybuilding and fitness progression, mm -hmm. Ideally, if they are having a meal, I'm not going to say late at night because we should stop eating maybe three, three hours before we go to sleep. At that last meal, if they take the sleep sack before that meal, because of the slowing of digestion with the food in their stomach, um, if you were to take it after eating, it might not act as quick. So if you take it before your last meal, by the time you actually get to sleep, the ingredients are starting to work. Again. So 90 minutes before usually before yeah and you know the beauty of this supplement especially the sleep stack is that it's not a sedative That's so good. there's no so you know there's no tolerance there's no dependency and yeah. there's no grogginess or drowsiness the next day good um, so what it's sort of like i said is it's, it's acting on your own biochemistry to help support sleep because you know in the beginning people were complaining saying oh, I took that sleep stack and nothing happened. And then you sort of delve a little bit deeper into that person's sleep hygiene and you find they're on their phone five minutes before bed, they're answering emails, they're eating yeah. maybe, you know, 40 minutes before they go to sleep. And, you know, you're, you're trying to explain to them that biochemically, regardless of what you've taken there, the psychological processes that stimulate then the neurotransmitters in your brain. Absolutely overtake it overtake it so it, it is important that we get our sleep hygiene in place of course and then and then the supplement is, is an added bonus because it means that with, with every supplement that's the case anyway isn't it yeah yeah it's i mean that, we're taking the immune support but if we if we're doing everything we can to support immune systems we're exercising we're lowering stress we're sleeping well we're not eating a lot of rubbish we vegetables lots of fiber high protein you know the usual right then you're going to have a, a better outcome than if you had a poor diet, didn't exercise at all, you were overweight. So it's, it's common sense, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like we're, we're about to launch with Supplement Needs an education website, um, which goes into all the products. So when that launches, your, your clients can actually go and there's a lot of video content where Brilliant. what I've explained there breaks down every single product within the range. and. Brilliant again educates say for example with the sleep sack i talk about sleep hygiene and how you might improve sleep hygiene yeah and then incorporate the sleep stack into it absolutely and then i mean there, there was an interesting video that i done then um for the, the education website and it was basically our supplements essential and the clear answer to that is no yeah of course not it's it's as the name suggests it's a supplement to your your lifestyle Absolutely. If you nutritionally or I guess um, supplementally aren't getting in what you require, then yes, the supplement is, is going to be important there to help make up that deficit. But Which must like, be quite clear. Most people are not getting enough of any of all those things that we've <laughs> mentioned. So therefore, most people need a good quality supplement. Uh, yeah, I mean, even like when it comes to even a multivitamin that was the whole basis of the multivitamin I made for, for supplement needs. Yeah. Again, has retinal palmitate which is the active form of vitamin a because i knew that if if someone's going to go to the very basics which is a multivitamin that it's going to have zinc it's going to have vitamin a it's going to yeah. have what what you sort of require day to day um, yeah. but again a supplement is just a supplement it's not a magic pill all of course not. <laughs> of course not i wanted to ask you another, about another supplement which 
I've just heard actually this week, and I, when I was doing some research into the stuff that you've done, I've come across uh, PQQ. Yeah, pyroquinolone. Yeah, it's a bit of a hard name to study. Yeah. What, 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 what is that? What does that do? What's the, tell me a bit more about that. that. That is a very interesting molecule because we can view it as a vitamin, but it's not. Okay. What, what it basically does is it improves biogenesis of mitochondria. Right. So our mitochondria are the, the cell organelles that generate ATP within our body. They're, they're, they're energy factories of our body. Mm. They're also the, the main drivers for metabolism, and w- which utilizes then the fuel that we generate from food. Yes. So PQQ will increase the amount of mitochondria that you may potentially make as well as being a very potent antioxidant so it's it, it's definitely it's a supplement that i've been taking daily for i'd say the last three to four years okay um, and, and i find it very good for again metabolic health but more so that that mitochondrial support again if we're not making enough mitochondria we're not going to be utilizing the the energy that we're we're ingesting yes we're not going to be generating enough atp so you know it comes back to you could go into the the whole i guess biochemistry of how mitochondria work and the electron transport chain but it's um it's definitely one supplement that if you look it up on on examine they sort of call it this pseudo vitamin which is a uh, you know it, it has vitamin like properties but it's not essential to the body fair enough fair enough so I wanted to ask you, um, if you were to recommend, obviously we've already spoke about the immune and the sleep stack and now the PQQ, but if you were to recommend for 98% of the population listening to this that want to improve their immune system, their health, uh, as well as obviously the, the main things that we've talked about, exercise, sleep, low stress, you know, all those things, what would be the top five that you'd say people should go to? In terms of supplements then? Yes. So probably the foundational base would be the, a multivitamin. So again, a multivitamin and multimineral will have vitamin A, vitamin D, B vitamins, you know, folic, uh, folate as opposed to folic acid. Yeah. Um, from there, possibly a good quality fish oil. Again, EPA and DHA have such a myriad of benefits to our, our immune function. And yeah. again, higher levels of EPA are going to potentially be cardioprotective and lower levels of inflammation in the body. So again, we're, we're trying to decrease that, I guess, inflammatory burden to the body. That it, if we do touching on the uh, fish oil, there's so many fish oils on the market, right? Yeah. What should people be looking at when they're buying a fish oil? So with a fish oil, uh, first of all, anything that's not in a, in a dark glass bottle or dark brown bottle, you can sort of question the integrity of it. Um, the, the rule, for example, here is mainly those that are oils as opposed to capsules. Right. Capsules, we can sort of get away with using maybe a, a clear bottle, but when it comes to buying an oil, um, it definitely has to be in a, a dark glass bottle. Okay. Um, with fish oils, this is very interesting again because not all fish oils are made equally. Yeah. What, what can happen is actually, if you take a fish oil that has gone rancid, 
in that the, the omega-3 bonds have been degraded to create um, you know, omega-6 fatty acids as well as other things, you can actually cause more damage good. than good. So it, it really, when it comes to fish oils, you really need to be careful and be fully sure of the integrity of the company that's selling it. Okay. Um, we have what's known as the total oxidation value of fish oils. So it's the totox value. Yeah. What we ideally want is a totox value that's very low. So it means then that the, the oxidation state of the oil is low. The rancidity of the oil is low. Right. And then with, with Supple Needs, we've um, developed a product called Omega Pro Plus. Yeah, I've seen that. It's a chewable fish oil capsule. And this was one challenge. We do have a regular omega-3 fish oil, which again is, is very well dosed. We have 500 milligrams of EPA per capsule. But with, with the Pro Plus, I wanted to go this extra premium route where, first of all, the fish is fished from Norwegian seas. Yeah. And the oil is processed on board the ship as soon as the fish is caught. Wow. So that means there's no delay in delivery. The oil, basically, the, the oxidation state of the oil is very low, and, and it's immediately encapsulated and put in a dark bottle. Brilliant. Um, and then we've sort of incorporated it into a chewable capsule because, again, fish oils, you could, you could have a huge chat about this, but fish oil is still a fat source. It has to be digested by your body. Yes. So it's not just a matter of taking a fish oil and then accepting that it's having benefit. Yeah. Your, your body's lipase still needs to break down that fish oil in order for you to utilize those essential fatty mm -hmm. acids. And when we look at digestion, chewing in the mouth, mastication is the first step of digestion, then chemical digestion uh, within the stomach. It so by sense. chewing the fish oil capsules, you're getting your liver ready to release. Love it pancreatic lipase so that that was a big thing towards the chewable capsule um, so after the vitamin uh, multi and then the fish oil what would you say where would you go down then after that um maybe just basics but like again it comes it comes back to diet so again if talking fitness population maybe a good quality essential amino acid supplement if we're not getting enough from the diet but again i, I doubt that most people do get enough Protein, protein who are in the fitness and um, yeah. lifestyle probably um again the sleep stack the immune stack yeah sleep stack immune stack. like again I, I, people probably come to realize that i'm not a big seller on supplements that I'll, I'll, That's I, 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 I'm, I'm very honest again but even when it comes to if you have any clients or people are listening that are enhanced bodybuilders yeah. Or, or users recreationally even in that regard people always say to me what supplement should i take because i'm now taking x mm. and my my approach is always what does your blood work say yeah you need to look at that isn't it i i'm not one for saying you know because i have a heart stack a liver stack a kidney and blood pressure yes, stack yeah. I, I could easily say to them you know take all three of them but you know ultimately do they really need it? If their blood work isn't showing any issues with their lipid panel or the kidney panel or the blood pressure issues, 
you don't like. I mean, I I'd hate to see people waste money on supplements, of course, when it could be used and actually invested into good quality food and Absolutely. and their environment. Couldn't agree more. So I guess again, probably if you wanted to look at maybe an essential, maybe the liposomal glutathione, like I said, because yeah. it's a more efficient way of ensuring that your body has adequate stores in it. Yeah. Um, and, and liposomal glutathione with PQQ is a, is a powerhouse towards mitochondrial health. Is that the two together? The two together, yeah. Because again, your mitochondria use up a lot of glutathione mm. because when you are generating, um, I guess, metabolic reactions, they generate superoxide and free radicals. And your mitochondria use glutathione then to quench those free radicals that happen as a result of metabolism. Right, okay. So it's, it's definitely something that between the two of them, you have really good metabolic efficiency then. Awesome. What I'll do is I'm going to, for everyone listening and watching, I'm going to put the uh, link to supplement needs on the notes. So all of these supplements are on their website anyway. But I will be, well, I've just placed an order today actually, and there's going to be a lot, of, all of these are going to be uh, at the, the hub uh, in Leicester. If you guys live in Leicester and you want to pop in to have a chat, uh, watch the podcast first, I guess, and listen to it. <laughs> and like I said, the, the education website would be great here, even for people who, who sell the supplements because it means that they'll have a resource now to actually say to clients, you can send there's, them. That, yeah, no, there's where all the videos are, there's in depth videos explaining Brilliant. the products. Brilliant. You know, from there, then people are going to be very educated on what, what they're taking. That's awesome. That's that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I know we've been going on for a while, so I don't want to take too much too much more of your time. It was a pleasure to finally get you on the podcast. Yeah, absolute pleasure speaking to Helen. Thank you so much for being <laughs> here. I think a lot of people are going to take a, a lot away from what we spoke about today. And I, I'm, I hugely recommend everybody follows you. So if anybody wants to find out a bit more about you, follow your IG stories, which are amazing, where would they find you? <laughs> So my, my Instagram channel is Dean STM, D-E-A-N-S-T-M. And that, that seems to be what I don't be on Facebook much. And I have a, my YouTube is sort of linked through my, my Instagram, but Instagram sort of the, the place where I'll, I spend most of my time getting information out. And like yeah. I said, there's, there's a ton of highlights for any new followers that come from the podcast. Yeah. So when you do follow, have, have a really good scroll through there because there's, Everything from gut health to sleep hygiene. You've got a really good one on, on colds and flus as well, haven't you? Yeah, and that's sort of where the immune stack came out. That oh, yeah. Over the years, I was showing people what I was doing for whenever I got a flu or, or chest infection and the supplements that are in there. So, again, heading into winter time, if you don't go the route of Immuno Pro, there's, there's little hacks in there for if you have a sore throat or a sniffle or whatever to help, help uh, offset that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Really yeah. appreciate it. Hopefully we'll record another one, maybe on a different topic next time. Yeah, yeah, of course. Love to. I really appreciate your time today. I know you're very busy, so thank you. <laughs> My pleasure, Alan. Thank you very much. And uh, all the best over there in Ireland. I hope lockdown finishes very quickly. And back to normal <laughs> again. <laughs> to be another rant. <laughs> oh my God, let's, let's not go there, right? Thanks so much. Really appreciate your yeah. time, mate.